0: hello everyone welcome to the faith connect weekly discipleship podcast i am so excited that you'd be joining us today my name is Kevin rognus and i am the discipleship director at faith covenant church and i'm just very glad that you're making time out of your day to watch or listen to this podcast episode today so depending on how you're watching this you might have the option to like or subscribe or make comments And these are things that you can do to, A, help us share the podcast and get the momentum behind it, but also subscription helps you to make sure that you never miss an episode. So we really encourage you to do that. Um, However you're watching this, just make sure you're able to do so regularly and share it with your friends. If there's something that you enjoy about it, um, please let people know about it. We'd love to hear um, more comments from more people. Likewise, if you have any comments or questions or topics that you want us to cover in the uh, course of the podcast, let me know. My email address is in the description or in the comments area, uh, or no, the description area. Um, So go ahead and uh, contact me and let me know if you have anything that you want us to be covering in this series. So right now, in this particular series, we're talking about discipleship basics. And a couple of episodes ago, we did a basic overview of discipleship with Pastor Brad. We talked about how in its essence, discipleship is mostly walking with God, with other people, with God's word. Last week, we focused on that with God piece. And today, we're gonna to be focusing on that with others piece, which I'm really excited about. I think there's a lot of great stuff to talk about here. so. Today we're gonna kind of trace the arc of what it means to be in relationship and walking with God with other people throughout this narrative of scripture. So we're going to start at the beginning, or pretty close to it, with Genesis 2. Now I'm not going to talk about the whole thing because the creation story involves a lot of different pieces. Um, but I specifically want to look at the creation of male and female, not necessarily because the gender aspect is important for what we're talking about today, but just because it establishes a design of relationship. So Genesis 2, starting with verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for, then, for when you eat from it, you will cert- certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him." So right here, just early on, we already see something really interesting. At first, only Adam, the man, is created, and God says, This isn't good. This isn't enough. There's something better that we can be doing this. And it's interesting because at this point too, we have to remember there is no sin. So everything is still perfect and going according to God's plan, but God still says, there's one more piece to this puzzle that I've created that I need to put in place for it to truly be good and be complete. And that's when we get Eve, this other person, Why does God say this? Why does God do this? Why does God say that this isn't good? Because we are made in God's image and God is a relational being. Throughout scripture, there are references to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all existing in relationship with one another. And yet they are one, which that's a whole other podcast to talk about Trinity, Um, Suffice it to say, God is a relational being, and so when God made us in his image, that means that we are also relational. So when Adam was created, Adam as one person, there's nobody else to have relationship with. That's why God created Eve and created that other person, so that there can be multiple people that exist in relationship with one another to reflect that aspect of God. So from the very beginning, before anything ever goes wrong, we were designed to be in relationship with other people. So now I'm gonna go ahead to verse 21 and 22, where it reads, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So what I find interesting here is that we are all made of the same substance. We are all created of equal substance. We are created to be equal to one another and exist in relationship to one another. Now, if you remember last week's episode, remember that later, once we get to Genesis 3, Things start to fall apart a little bit, we're not going to rehash all the details of that story here, but what we see happen is Adam and Eve fall into sin and they are banished from the Garden of Eden. And now there are consequences, life has challenges, they have to work the land for their food and everything's difficult, childbearing is hard now, there is sin in the world, all kinds of things. So then we get to Genesis 4, which is a story of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's first two children, their two sons. Now this story is the first story of a broken relationship between people. Genesis 3, we have that broken relationship between God and humans, but in Genesis 4, we get the first broken relationship between people. So I'm going to start in Genesis 4, chapter 2, and we're going to go through quite a bit of it here. So it reads, Now Abel kept his flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, right away, we see some developing tension because Abel is favored and Cain is not. Why is this happening? Well, it's kind of a little bit hard for us to understand in our context today. But in essence, Abel is taking the fat portions from his firstborn livestock. That means the fat portions, the most valuable portions, Abel is giving first out of his first animals. So Abel is giving the most valuable part of his possessions to God. And it's implied then that Cain was not. So Abel has this strong relationship with God because Abel is bringing his first and best to God, whereas Cain has a strained relationship with God because he's not doing that. And so then that creates tension between these two brothers. So then we get to verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? Now I want to pause here again. God knows the answer to this question. This echoes what we saw in Genesis 3, where God asked Adam and Eve where they were hiding. God isn't asking this because he needs information God is asking us as kind of a test of the relationship with Cain. He is seeing if Cain will be honest about what's happening. So Cain replies, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Now here, what we're seeing with Cain is that The relationship problems that we have with each other also have consequences, not just in our temporal lives on earth, but also with our vertical relationship with God. God is deeply upset with what Cain has done in this circumstance. Continuing on in verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, not so, anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So here in this first story of conflict between people, we see a pretty drastic circumstance. It's murder. We don't often see that today in most of our lives. I mean, certainly it happens today. But for most of us listening to this or watching this, We have not experienced murder as a break in relationships. However, what we see is this conflict between people and God wanting us to be honest about it. We also see how difficult and how serious it is to maintain these kinds of relationships. So murder is maybe on the more extreme end of the things that we might encounter, but it does show that the relationship between humans is very important our walking with others is a very important thing. God wants us to love one another, and the Bible is full of examples with that. So if we continue to trace the narrative of scripture in terms of walking with others, we see a lot of highs and lows as we go on. And as we get to Moses in Exodus, we see Moses given the Ten Commandments, which are essentially a set of laws that God gives the people to help them better understand relationship with him and understand relationship with each other. So, the first four commandments are about that vertical relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. Don't take the the Lord's name in vain. And remember and keep the Sabbath holy. The remaining six commandments are all about relationship with one another, that horizontal relationship that we have with each other. So we have the commands of honor your father and mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness or lie, you shall not covet. It's interesting here because we have more commands about how to love one another than we do about loving God. Why might that be? Now, I can't answer definitively on that, I am not God, but I can say this, in relationship with God, one of the two parties, us and God, one of those two is perfect. God is perfect, so it would make sense that there's less commands about a relationship with God because one half of that relationship is already perfect. When it comes to relationships between people with others, we need a little bit more guidance on that. That's why I think we have more content, more law given to us to help explain to us how to live in relationship with one another. God gives us boundaries about how we love each other. We love each other within these boundaries and by not exceeding them. We know what not to do to best love one another. Now there's a lot more content of law in scripture about how we interact with one another, but this, at this point in scripture, is kind of the most concise early summary that the people of God are given in the Bible. As we continue on from Moses, we go through scripture, there's a whole lot of ups and downs in people's relationships with one another. We have the example of David and Jonathan, in the, um, in the stories about David and how he came to be the king. Jonathan was Saul's son, the previous king's son, and while Saul was still king and kind of competing with David, Jonathan was David's best friend. They were so close. They were amazing friends, had this amazing friendship. At the same time, so that was kind of the high, but then at the same time, we kind of have a lot of lows here as well. Because David, a few years after Jonathan's passing, had a friend named Uriah, who was a soldier of David's, and David ended up stealing his wife and arranging for Uriah to be killed in battle to cover that up. So we have a lot of extremes in Scripture about how people interact with one another. Now I also want to address the positive vision that Scripture has for relationship with one another, with each other. Because there's a lot in the Bible, so there's gonna be a whole lot that we don't get the chance to cover today. Um, But there is content, especially in the wisdom literature, what we call the books like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and a couple of others. Um, But there's a lot in those about what it means to be in relationship with each other and what the benefits of that are. I'm going to start, again, this is just a selection of things, but with Psalm 133, verse 1, where it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. That's just a simple snapshot. It is good. And when God says something is good, he means like really, really good. It is the deepest essence of good. So it is good and pleasant when God's people live together in unity. God loves to see us united with one another. Proverbs 12:26 The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So this verse kind of gives us that idea that we need to be careful about who we interact with on the most frequent basis. Who are your people that you go to when you're in need? Who are the people that help you recharge and stay energized in life? Now, this doesn't mean that we just find our good friends, our good people, and just go sit in a hole somewhere and never interact with the wider world. But it means that who are my core people that I go to that build me up? We need to choose those people carefully. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Here we get the idea that we're here for each other in the hard times. Hard times are going to happen in a broken world. There's nothing we can do to escape that, but we have each other. Now, that doesn't make the problem go away. Those times of adversity are still here, but we're not alone in those times. Proverbs 27:17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That is part of our purpose in Christian community, in relationship with each other. When we are discipling each other, we are making one another better. We are helping each other to dig deeper into God's word. We are praying with and for each other. We are making each other better. Iron sharpening iron. Ecclesiastes four verses nine through 10, or excuse me, not nine through, yes, nine through 10. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Again, we're seeing that idea that we saw in Psalms of that unity being a really good thing, but we also see that when you fall down, when you experience that adversity, It's so great to have somebody that can help lift you up. It is so great to have that in your life. The writer even goes so far as to say, pity anyone who falls and has no one. It's a very sad, dark experience to be struggling and not have anyone there to help you up. And many of you I'm sure have experienced that, or maybe are experiencing that now. And if that's you, if you're in that kind of season right now, please reach out to someone. Um, You can certainly reach out to us on staff at Faith Covenant. We would love to walk alongside you. So those are some of the things that the wisdom literature says about why we need other people and what the benefits of these relationships with other people are. But we also, of course, want to look at what Jesus says. So now we're kind of progressing in that narrative scripture to where Jesus is on the scene and is talking about what it means to be in relationship with other people. Now, of course, Jesus says a lot of things about what that means. I'm going to go with a couple of different examples, because if we went through everything, we'd be here all night and all day for several days. So, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command of the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor. As yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So if you remember earlier when we talked about the Ten Commandments, Jesus is essentially boiling them all down. So those first four commands about relationship with God, Jesus boils down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then the other six commandments he boils down into this, love your neighbors as yourself. Simple, right? Simple, yes, not necessarily easy. But, as Jesus says here, the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Here, something that Jesus is doing is affirming God's creational design because he is talking about we are, how we are meant to be in total, all-consuming, entire relationship with God and with other people. We walk with other people, we disciple other people by loving others as we would love ourselves. Later on, Jesus is preparing his disciples for a time without him being physically present. And he says this in John 15 verses 12 through 15. My command is this, love each other As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life from one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my Father I have made known to you. So once again, Jesus is affirming the need for us to be in relationship with one another. He is affirming that aspect of our design, of the way that we are made in God's image, to be in relationship with one another. Now, some of these things sound pretty extreme, right? Because we are called to give our lives for one another. But Jesus is simply asking us to be like him because Jesus gave his life for us. Again, it's a simple thing, but it's not easy at all. Now, this sounds really daunting to be in relationship with others in Christian community, to be in discipleship relationship with others, and be willing to sacrifice everything for them. If you've ever been in a church service and seen the dozens, if not hundreds, of other people in that room— you may think, wow, I have to be willing to lay my life down for all of these people. That is what the Bible is teaching, and that can be a different, difficult thing. But I want you to also flip that on its head and think, when you're in that room, if we are part of the same body of Christ, then all of these people will be willing to do that for me. That is a powerful, powerful thing. That is the beauty of being in relationship with one another. When we are there for each other on that level, we can support each other through anything. That is part of the reason that we are designed to be with each other. Why discipleship so deeply depends on doing life with each other. So other New Testament writers also address what it means to do life together. And as I go through these things, I want you to imagine those things in both ways. These writers will say it about what you need to do for other people, the ways that you need to behave. And that seems like a lot sometimes, but I want you to also think about that opposite idea. The people that, what if I was part of a community that did these things for me as well? How amazing would that be? So, in uh, Paul, says a lot of, the Apostle Paul says a lot of different things. In First Thessalonians 5.11, he says, Encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. So Paul is saying, you're already encouraging each other. Keep it up. You're doing great. He is encouraging them. And again, remember, if you're a part of a body that you're doing that for others, what is that going to be like if they're doing that for you? Colossians 3 verses 12 through 14. Once again, we're coming back to that theme of perfect unity. That's the ideal. And I love what it says in verse 12 about clothing yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Imagine if those virtues could be articles of clothing, like imagine if this blue sweater I'm wearing were actually just kindness. If this was a physical embodiment of kindness, imagine if we're always wearing those things with one another. If we walk into the room and I see, oh, you're wearing kindness, you're wearing patience, you're wearing gentleness, that would be amazing. That's the kind of people that I want to hang out with. Paul also writes extensively about relationship with one another in Romans chapter 12. And this first portion um, is, I just, I really respond to this. And I'm going to, it's Romans 12 verses 3 through 8 is the first part that we'll go through. It says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. Leading, and diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. What I love about this passage is that it shows us another purpose of why God has designed us to do life with each other, to disciple each other. Simply put, we can't do it all alone. (laughs) We all have different purposes, different functions, different gifts, and when we get together and pool those gifts, pool those abilities, we are greater than the sum of its parts. We can accomplish so much together and we don't bear the burden of everything alone. We don't bear the burden of fixing the world On our own we don't bear the burden of evangelizing the entire world on our own we do this together in community with others Romans 12 continuing on in verse 10 through 18 this is more of a description of what it looks like to kind of be in relationship in an ideal way love one another deeply as brothers and sisters take the lead in honoring one another Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now this passage is just a snapshot of what it looks like when we live in community with others well. We love each other deeply as brothers and sisters, as family. We honor each other. We share with each other. We pursue hospitality together. All these things are beautiful descriptions of what it's like to do relationship with one another. And one thing that I love about verse 18 where it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. To me, that's a really beautiful reminder that Sometimes there are people that we have conflict with that are not willing to do the work to resolve that conflict. You may be willing and ready to forgive and put in the work. They may not be. So as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's freeing to me because it means that the resolution is not entirely on me in a conflict between me and another person. It requires both of us. So if I, I can't force that other person to reconcile with me. And so it's really helpful for us to remember that as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone. So the writer Peter also addresses what it means to live in relationship with each other. And he writes similar things in first Peter four verses eight through 10. He writes above all love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And what I really appreciate about this is it kind of um, brings us back a little bit to that design that God gave us. God designed us and gave us different gifts, as Peter says here, use whatever gifts you have received to serve others. So we all have different gifts that we have received from God. And when we pull those gifts and share those gifts, amazing things happen in God's kingdom. So because God has designed us this way, designed us to be different and yet need each other to be in relationship with each other, we have to be very conscious about how we do that we have to be very intentional about the ways we are with one another so thankfully there's a lot of scripture that helps us with that i covered some of that today and there's a whole lot more i encourage you to delve into and we are better together with each other than we are alone that's why we at faith covenant consider this to be such an integral part of a discipleship journey We need to do discipleship with God, certainly. Our relationships with God matter. That's the vertical relationship. But we also have to have these horizontal relationships with one another. It's absolutely essential. So how do we actually go about doing this and fostering these kinds of relationships? Well, here at Faith Covenant, uh, we kind of break our ways of doing that into three different categories that we call gather, grow, and go. And you've maybe heard of these things under different names, but I'll give some examples of each. For gathering, we have our worship services on Sunday mornings where we come together and sing, we have classes, we study God's word together, we participate in communion together. Um, Those are all really good examples of what it means to gather together. And that looks like a lot of different things too. Um, There's lots of different ways to gather. Sometimes it's a small group that meets in a home It can be all sorts of different things. Then we have that grow and that gathering and that growing are often very related because oftentimes we are growing together. So those are things like small groups or mentoring or discipleship relationships, classes. When we grow together, that's an important thing that we can do with one another. So I have a 20s and 30s group that um, I help lead And we gather together on Zoom and we study God's word together. And that helps us grow. Certainly we can do some of those things on our own, on our own time. And many of us do, but it's also important to do that together because like it says in Proverbs, iron sharpens iron. When we help each other understand scripture, we all can come to a stronger understanding of what it means. So we have gather, we have grow, and then we have go. And for us at Faith Covenant, that means things like service projects, missions, evangelism, living our lives outside of the church. So when we go into our daily lives with our coworkers, with classmates, with friends, with family members, people outside the church, that is part of our go. We go out into the world. And these are things that we often do together. So this gather, grow, and go They're often very, very much interrelated. But these are ways that we can do life with each other, with each other, with each other. I cannot emphasize that enough. It is a crucial part of your discipleship journey. I also just want to remind us of a couple of other things that you might be thinking about. I know I was thinking about this. Um, Walking with others is not necessarily a call to be an extrovert. I know all of this with other stuff can be kind of overwhelming for me, I consider myself an introvert, Um, but scripture is not telling you to change your personality to be with others all the time. That is not what it's saying at all. There's plenty of people like me who like to just have time and space on my own to recharge, get rested, and then go out and interact with people again. And sometimes I think Jesus might have been an introvert too, because Jesus does that all the time. He spends a lot of time with his disciples, tons and tons of time with them, but he also takes his moment and goes spends time in prayer alone with God. So certainly it's important for us to have that vertical relationship with God and have focused time just between myself and with God. But then we also need to have that time with one another's, So that is how we kind of live out the fullest journey of discipleship with other people. So that's kind of where we're going to leave things today. Our next episode, as you can imagine, we're going to talk about what it means to do discipleship with God's Word. That's kind of that third key component for the basics of discipleship. What does it mean to really delve into God's word. So I'm really excited about that. It'll be dropping sometime next week, probably on a Wednesday is when we're doing this. So um, again, please subscribe, like the the podcast on whatever platform you're listening, share it with your friends, share it with your family. Uh, Thank you so much for listening or watching, however you're consuming this today. And I pray that this can be a beneficial resource for you. Thank you very much.